we've seen um, Moses meeting with God and, and seeing the covenant renewed with new tablets of stone. And now here in chapter 35, through to the end of the book, we see the implementation now of the construction of the tabernacle with all of its furnishings. Now, much of, of what we're going to be looking at here tonight is a repetition from the earlier instructions that was received by Moses up on the mountain from chapters 25 to chapters 31. That chunk of, of chapters has all been the instructions that Moses received up on the mountain. And so much of what we're going to be looking at now through to the end of the book is, is really kind of a repeating of those things. It's not so much the instructions being given, but now it's the implementation of those things. Now, again, a lot of these verses are just repeated, actually, you know, verbatim or, you know, very closely. In fact, it's quite tempting to just kind of skim over these passages and, and refer to what was said previously. And though we're going to do a, a bit of that uh, as we look to tackle six chapters here tonight, it's important to know why, yeah, it wasn't an error, wasn't an error, yeah, just receive it, okay, in faith, in faith, uh, but it's important to know why there's this repetition, when something is repeated in the word, it's usually for a good reason, and God wants us to take notice of it, right, uh, our, you know, Peter, writing in, in 2 Peter chapter 2, says this, or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it's right as long as I'm in this tent to stir you up by reminding you. And so we're going to have a lot of reminders here tonight, which are a a good thing, and especially when it's in the Word of God, it's there for a reason, and God wants us to take note of these things. Now, first of all, repetition was a very common uh, technique in ancient literature to aid in memorization. The nation of Israel was to be very familiar with the layout of the, the tabernacle and the function of the tabernacle. All this is a picture of Christ and a reminder of our salvation for us. And so we're seeing a, a repetition when it comes to the tabernacle, the layout of it, the furnishings of it. There's a purpose in that. It's all pointing to Christ. Secondly, this is all repeated to show Israel's obedience in carrying out the work of the Lord. Remarkably, some 20 times we read that the Israelites did exactly what God commanded them to do. So here we're seeing that Israel was not just given the instructions, but now they're carrying out the instructions. There's obedience, and with that obedience comes blessing now. And thirdly, we see that with the completion of the tabernacle, God shows his faithfulness. Despite the people's sins, remember? They're given the instructions up on the mountain. Down below, however, there's sin in the camp. Tablets are broken. And, and now Moses has to go back up. Renewal uh, of the covenant comes back down now to bring about the implementation of these things. And it's showing us that God is still providing a place where he's going to meet with sinful humanity. He didn't give up on the people. He's a covenant-keeping God. And so we're reminded of that as we go through our our chapters here tonight. So first of all, starting chapter 35, we're going to look at the preparations 
for the tabernacle. Look at chapter 35, verse 1. We read, Then Moses gathered all the congregation of the children of Israel together and said to them, These are the words which the Lord has commanded you to do. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day shall be a holy day for you, a Sabbath of rest to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. That's, don't get much more serious than that, right? It's like, you want to you wanna follow this word here pretty closely. Verse three, you shall kindle no fire throughout your dwellings on the Sabbath day. So before you, any work was to start, now again, they've got all the instructions, everything's done. But before they're gonna start the work and the construction of the tabernacle, God wants to remind them of a very important thing. You need to take a day to rest. There's a Sabbath that needs to be followed. It's not that this day was more holy than all the others, but God is saying, I want you to take a day where you are going to rest and where you're gonna be refreshed in the Lord. Work is not everything. And God has has already designed and, and exemplified this practice of six and one. Work six days, rest on the seventh day. And so they're given this great instruction here. You know, we can find it so easy to just kind of overlook these things, right? And to throw out excuses such as, well, you know, we've been working so hard to meet a deadline or it's just a busy season. And so, you know, all these other things have to get put on the side. Oh, there'll come a day when I will follow in practice of resting and taking a Sabbath, but right now it's just too busy. Or sometimes we can excuse it by saying, oh, but I'm doing the work of the Lord. This is good, this is good stuff. But here, they're gonna be called to build a tabernacle. That's the work of the Lord. Yet God says, as you get into the busyness of construction and building, don't forget to take time to rest and to be revitalized in the Lord. That's so important. Work is not everything. I remember when I was, when I was young and broke, uh, I said, I'm going to work really hard. And so for years, I just worked hard. And then uh, I was no longer young. <clears throat> but you see, we can think that we're going we're gonna to just go for it. Everything's going to come together. And yet work is not everything. Work is important. God's designed us to work. So don't use this as an excuse now not to work. No, God's designed us to work. Work is important, but work's not everything. God wants to take time to come away and just come, up, come to him and just be refreshed in the Lord and, and focus on the Lord. Verse four goes on to say, and Moses spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel saying, this is the thing which the Lord commanded saying, take from among you an offering to the Lord. Whoever is of a willing heart, let him bring it as an offering to the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, and goat's hair, ram skins dyed red, badger skins, and acacia wood, oil for the light and spices for the anointing oil, and for the sweet incense onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. So the next step now was to gather the materials for the building of the tabernacle. And I love how there's no pressure that's given. There's no guilt trip that's laid on the people to empty your pockets, man. This is the work of the Lord. Come on, people. You got to give. Step up now or else none of this can happen. There's no pressure being given. There's no demands on the people. Moses just shares with them God's word, which is whoever 
is of a willing heart. Let him bring it as an offering to the Lord there in verse five. I love that. Moses had every right, you know, to tell the people that they need to give. But God seeks those who will do so willingly and not begrudgingly. Second Corinthians 9, 7, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, God no doubt loves it when people are givers because that's one true gauge to see if his people are walking in faithfulness and commitment to him, living a life that's depending on him. Yet, if we can't give cheerfully, God says, I don't want it. I don't want it to be done out of a begrudging attitude or spirit. But the verse goes before this one, gives an important lesson in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. We've, we've just quoted 2 Corinthians 9, 7. But going back to verse 6, it says there, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So we see an interesting principle at work there. When you give to God, we understand that he is the one that's gonna take care of us. If you're saying, well, listen, if my bank account could get a little bigger, I'll give. Or if I didn't have all these bills, I could give. Well, let me say that that bank account will never be big enough for you. There will always be just one more bill. But when you decide that all is God's enemies, that everything I have has been given to me by the Lord, and it's all his to begin with, then you're just gonna give cheerfully to him. You'll be blessed. And understand that the offering is the Lord's, verse five. It's the Lord's. What does it say there? It, it says in verse five, take from among you an offering to the Lord, whoever's of a willing heart. Don't try to manipulate your giving to satisfy your desires. Give it to God and surrender it there. Now, here's a, a few reasons why we should give. First of all, God, giving reshapes you. We understand that God is a great giver. God's the greatest giver of all. Gave his only begotten son. God's a giver, and so giving follows his example. Luke 16, 13. Uh, secondly, giving requires trust. We learn to live dependently on God when we give. We're saying, Lord, I'm not depending upon my bank account being full. I'm not depending upon this paycheck. I'm depending on you, Lord, and I want to be very generous with what I have and give back to you. And I'm gonna trust you with the rest. And thirdly, giving rewards you eternally. See, we can't take our wealth with us when we go, but we can fill up our account in that eternal value. That's what Paul said in Philippians 4, 16 to 17. For even in Thessalonica, you send aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. That's cool. So giving is a, a, a wonderful thing that I, I believe we're, we're called to do. <laughs> we don't talk a lot about it, but guess what? We're gonna be talking a lot about giving in the next little while because it's coming up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9, which was not by design as we just had a great meeting on Saturday talking about how we want, you know, uh, people to have a heart to give towards a specific need here in the church with, with property. Uh, we haven't lined it up to say, okay, let's, let's bring that to everybody's attention, right? When we're gonna start to talk about giving. God just designed it that way. So we don't wanna make a big deal about it and we don't wanna put pressure on, but we want people to give who have a willing heart. And that's what we desire. And giving is indeed going to, going to bless you. Uh, verse 10 in chapter 35 here. 
Now we see those that are gonna be active in this here. All who are gifted artisans among you shall come and make all that the Lord has commanded. The tabernacle, its tent, its coverings, its clasps, its boards, its bars, its pillars and its sockets. The ark and its poles with the mercy seat and the veil of the covering, the table and its poles, all its utensils and the showbread, all the lampstand for the light, its utensils, its lamps for the oil, for the light, the incense altar, its poles, the anointing oil, the sweet incense, and the screen for the door, the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, all its utensils, and the laver and its base, the hangings of the court, its pillars, their sockets, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court, and their cords, the garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. So here, the call is out all who are gifted artisans, all who are, are, are gifted in these areas of, uh, of having that wisdom and in, in how to be these artists in all these different things. And so they're going to be active and the ones called in making uh, the components for the tabernacle, all those things that we just read. Verse 20, and all the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle, meaning for all its service and for the holy garments. They came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. They brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. Where'd they get a lot of those things? When they were led out of Egypt. God gave it to them in the first place. And now they're able to give back to the Lord and to use it for something of such a, a, a valuable nature, the tabernacle that God's presence would dwell in. And here they are contributing to this work of the Lord. Verse 23, and every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering and everyone with whom was found a case you would for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple and scarlet and fine linen and all the women whose hearts stirred with wisdom spun yarns of goat's hairs. Verse 27, the rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense the children of Israel brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work, which the Lord, by the hand of Moses, had commanded to be done. So I like what we read here. Everyone came, as we've been seeing, whose heart was stirred, it says, and whose spirit was willing. Moses didn't give some big offering push or pressure them. He didn't have some, you know, big kind of, uh, funding drive, you know, with the thermometer on the wall to see how well we're doing, how much more do we need? No pressure, not pulling on the, you know, emotional heartstrings. He simply gave the need, dismissed everyone and let them give as they were led and they all come back. They start giving all they've, they've got here to contribute to the work of the Lord. And we see hearts were stirred to contribute the children of Israel, it says, brought a free will offering in verse 29. A free will offering. Again, no, no pressure, no demands. And some people may not have had expensive items to contribute, but some brought thread or fine linen or, or goat's hair, right? It wasn't anything 
major for some people, but they gave what they had. And the Lord's never interested in how much you give. Again, he's, he's concerned with where your heart is at, how you give. Remember when Jesus is sitting in the treasury, he's watching the people, he says he's watching not what they give, but, but how they give. Do they do so with a, an attitude, a heart that was just surrendered to the Lord? Wasn't doing it for show. Not everybody had maybe expensive things to give, but people gave just simply what they had. And that's what the Lord is interested in is how you do so from your heart. And then verse 30, and, and Moses said to the children of Israel, see, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he's put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and the designer and the tapestry maker in blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine linen and of the weaver, those who do every work and those who design artistic works. So here we see God chose Bezalel and Aholiab to be kind of the foreman of the, the construction tabernacle project here. They were gifted by the Spirit of God for such a task as this. And I, I wonder how often are we looking and saying, God, how have you gifted me? What are you calling me to do? Because God gifts his people to carry out works for the Lord. How has God gifted you? Serve him faithfully in the ways that he's equipped you. There's two ingredients to serving God. Ability and availability. Sadly, there are many able people out there that are not very available. And there's many available people, maybe without the right ability, or they're trying to fit into something that God hasn't called them to. Remember, God doesn't just call the equipped. He equips the called. He prepares those whom he calls. Don't worry so much about, well, that's not. See how the Lord is leading you and prompting you and calling you. What has he called you to do? And whatever he's called you to do, do it all for the glory of God, we're told to do in, in his word. Well, chapter 36, verse one here. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom, in whose heart the Lord has put wisdom, everyone whose heart was stirred to come and do the work. And they received from Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of making the sanctuary. So they continued bringing to him freewill offerings every morning. Then all the craftsmen who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work he was doing. And they spoke to Moses saying, the people bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded us to do. So Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man nor woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient for all the work to be done. Indeed, too much. Words you will never hear at Riverside, but praise the Lord. 
Moses and the people in Israel said, we've got enough. Stop bringing. They, they, the command went forth to stop people from giving, which is amazing when, again, there's no pressure, there's no demands, there's no guilt on people. It's just whoever had a willing heart. And look at how many people stepped up. They just gave so much that here's these artisans, these, these crafts, uh, craftsmen now that are working to the construction of the tabernacle going, Moses, hold up, man. We got too much. We don't know what to do with all the excess now. This is too much. We're overwhelmed. Tell them to stop. Indeed, too much. I just love that. I think that's so awesome to hear. Again, I can't ever imagine having to do that, but we see the great things that happen when God is leading and moving and when people have a heart simply to take part in what God is doing and in how God is leading. I pray that we as a church will continue to hear from the Lord and, and be led of the Lord and how we can be active in serving him, contributing to the work of the Lord. And I tell you, when, when people give, it's amazing to see what, what God will do from that. And so we've seen here the preparations for the tabernacle. Secondly, now we look at the construction of the tabernacle here in chapter 36, verse eight. We begin to look at now the, the hangings and the, the coverings of the tabernacle. This has already been talked about in chapter 26, verses one to 14. Um, if you missed some of our studies there, I'll encourage you guys to go back and listen to some of those from chapters 25 to 31, the construction of the tabernacle, or the instructions for the tabernacle, because we took a lot more time and went through that more thoroughly and in depth. And we looked at some wonderful pictures again of Christ and the ministry of Christ in the tabernacle and in the furnishings. We'll touch on some of those things here tonight, but we're gonna move through this fairly quickly here. Verse eight, the hangings and the coverings, it says, then all the gifted artisans among them who worked on the tabernacle made 10 curtains woven of fine linen and of blue, purple, and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, they made them. The length of each curtain was 28 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits, a cubit being about 18 inches. So you got a curtain that's 42 feet long and six feet wide. The curtains were all the same size and he coupled five curtains to one another and the other five curtains he coupled to one another. He made loops of blue yarn on the edge of the curtain on the salvage of one set. Likewise, he did on the outer edge of the other curtain of the second set. 50 loops he made on one curtain and 50 loops he made on the edge of the curtain on the end of the second set. The loops held one curtain to another. So all these curtains begin to get kind of pieced together across the tabernacle. Let me throw up a picture here just to see some of the, the curtains that would all be placed together. So six feet wide, going the length of the tabernacle. And so again, those would be joined together. Uh, and now we're getting a, a view inside the tabernacle, but you get the idea of the curtains and, uh, and such that were placed over top. And there were uh, many of them layered on top of each other, which we'll see in, in a moment here. Uh, verse 14, so he made curtains of goat's hair for the tent over the tabernacle. He made 11 curtains. The length of each curtain was 30 cubits and the width of each curtain, four cubits. The 11 curtains uh, were the same size. He coupled five curtains by themselves and six curtains by themselves. Verse 19, then he made a covering for the tent of ram skins dyed red and a covering of badger skins above that. So there was layer after layer of the curtains that went over the tabernacle. 
Now, the tabernacle was a beautiful sight to behold inside that inner uh, curtain that was over top of the tabernacle. When, a, when the priest would be inside the tabernacle, they'd see these uh, angelic, um, artistic designs on the curtain, the beautiful colors that were there. It was beautiful to behold. And yet from the outside, what was on the outside? It says a covering of badger skins was on the, on the outer layer. That's actually um, more rightly translated as dolphin skins, most likely not dolphin skins, but more like a, a, a dugong. Am I saying that right? Dugong, a, like a manatee. Um, that's kind of what many believe was the outer skin of the... So walking up to the tabernacle, from an outsider's perspective, it wasn't much to behold. It's kind of like, eh, what's that? But when you go inside, you see the beauty. And that's much how it is with us in our relationship with Christ. Man, when we're in Christ, we begin to see the beauty that he is, the greatness, the majesty, the awe that we have of the beauty of the Lord. And yet for other people that are outside Christ, that don't know him as we, as followers of Christ, know him, they kind of look in, they go, eh, really? What's, what's that all about? I just don't get it. It doesn't seem appealing to me. But once you're in Christ, suddenly you begin to see what the appeal is. We begin to see the attraction, we see his beauty, and we're so thankful to be found in him. And then we have the boards and the bars mentioned here, verses 20 to, to 34 boards and sockets that the tabernacle was to be secure and solid on the ground. And there, there were different sockets that the boards would go into. And so this tabernacle became very secure and solid, just as our life in Christ is secure and on solid ground in him. So verse 20, for the tabernacle, he made boards of acacia wood standing upright. The length of each board was 10 cubits and the width of each board a cubit and a half. Each board had two tenons for binding one to another. Thus he made for all the boards of the tabernacle and he made boards for the tabernacle, 20 boards for the south side, 40 sockets of silver. He made it go under the 20 boards, two sockets under each of the boards for its two tenons. Let's jump down to verse 35, where we see the veil and the screen now. It says in verse 35, and he made a veil of blue, purple and scarlet thread and fine woven linen, it, it was worked with an artistic design of cherubim. Now this is the veil here that you see, uh, the inner dividing curtain, that, that veil that's being talked about uh, right here in verse 35, that separated the holy place from the, um, or sorry, yeah, the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies. The holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant sat and where the high priest could enter into only one day of the year, the day uh, of atonement, Yom Kippur. And so um, that veil was there and only access was given to the high priest one day a year to go into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And so that's the veil that's being talked about here in verse 35. And then in verse 36, he made it four pillars of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold, with their hooks of gold. And he cast four sockets of silver for them. He also made a screen for the tabernacle door of blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen made by a weaver. And again, just the beauty of this, right? The color, uh, the artistic work that was um, brought into this. 
Verse 38, and its five pillars with their hooks, and he overlaid their capitals and their rings with gold, but their five sockets were bronze. So there's a screen for the tabernacle door, has five pillars. Five, interestingly, in biblical numerology, is the number for grace. So the way into God's tabernacle, by this screen, this door, the way into God's presence is always by grace, isn't it? Nothing that we deserve. There's only one way also into the tabernacle just as there's only one way to the Father, it's through Jesus Christ who is so fittingly seen in that. So after seeing the construction of the tabernacle with the, the, the design of it, the, the curtains, the boards, the structure of it, we begin to look at the furniture now of the tabernacle here in chapter 37. So it says in verse one of chapter 37, as we look at the, the ark of the testimony now, then Bezalel made the ark of Acacia wood. Two and a half cubits was its length, a cubit and a half its width, and a cubit and a half its height. He overlaid it with pure gold inside and outside and made a molding of gold all around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold to be set in its four corners. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other side of it. He made poles of Acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. And he put the poles into the rings at the sides of the ark to bear the ark. So no man was to touch the ark. Uh, remember what happened to uh, Uzzah, 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 right? Okay. Um, so remember what happened to him when he reached out and, and touched the ark. Verse six, he also made the mercy seat of pure gold. Two and a half cubits was its length and a cubit and a half its width. He made two cherubim of beaten gold. He made them of one piece at the two ends of the mercy seat one cherub at one end of his, on this side, and the other cherub on the other end on that side. He made the cherubim at the two ends of one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim spread out their wings above and covered the mercy seat with their wings. They faced one another. The faces of the cherubim were toward the mercy seat. So remember the Ark of the Covenant here contained uh, the tablets of, of the law, right? And then on top, the mercy seat with the two cherubim. And so you see this incredible work that's taking place is the cherubim representing the, the heavenlies in a sense, right? And again, much of the tabernacle is seen in the very throne of God in, in heaven. Much of what we see in heaven, Revelation talks about is again, and Moses was, was given a picture there on the mountain, you know, of the heavenlies here in, in creating the tabernacle. And so we see a lot of the similarities, but here's the cherubim that are representing the heavens. You got the, the law, but then on the top of the Ark of the Covenant, you have the mercy seat, the lid essentially. And it's the place that God says, it's here that I'm gonna meet with you. Because we understand that we cannot, we cannot meet the demands of the law. We're always gonna fall short. We need help. The law cannot bring us to God. That's where God comes and he meets us. We're right, and he, and he brings that mercy to us. He says, it's here on the mercy seat. Again, the high priest had to come in once a year and they had to sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice upon the lid, upon the mercy seat. It was through the blood of that sacrifice that God says, I will provide a covering and atonement for you. And there you will be reconciled by the blood of a sacrifice. The mercy seat was the one place on earth where men and women could attain that mercy of God. And we find that today through the work of Jesus Christ, through the cross by which he's provided the great 
mercy and grace that we need to be presented to God, reconciled to God. And then we move on and look at the table of showbread, verse 10. And he made the table of acacia wood, two cubits was its length, a cubit its width and a cubit and a half its height. And he overlaid it with pure gold and made a molding of gold all around it. Also, he made a frame of a handbreadth all around it and made a molding of gold for the frame all around it. And he cast for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that were at its four legs. The rings were close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And he made the poles of acacia wood to bear the table and overlaid them with gold. He made of pure gold the utensils which were on the table, its dishes, its cups, its bowls, and its pitchers for pouring. So the table of showbread, again, made of wood, overlaid with gold, picturing the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Christ. Jesus is the bread of heaven. There's 12 loaves of bread that would sit on this table of showbread, representing the the 12 tribes of Israel. And that bread was kept in place by a, a molding of gold that says all around it, or more precisely, a crown, just as we were kept secure by the crowned, glorified Christ and all that he's done for us. Moving on, we see the golden lampstand now. Verse 17, he also made the lampstand of pure gold of hammered work. He made the lampstand, its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and its flowers were the same piece. Six branches came out of its sides, three branches of the lampstand out of one side, three branches of the lampstand out of the other side. Verse 23, jump down. And he made it seven lamps, its wick trimmers, and its trays of pure gold, of a talent of pure gold. He made it with all its utensils. So again, this lampstand was the only light that was uh, in the tabernacle. This was the only source of light there. And we think of Jesus who came and said, I am the light of the world. He comes and shines in the darkness. He's the only source that can remove that darkness in our lives and praise the Lord for that. Next, we see the altar of incense, verse, uh, or sorry, chapter 37, verse 25. It says, he made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. It was square and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with pure gold, its top, its sides all around and its horns. He also made it for a molding of gold all around it. He made two rings of gold for it under its moldings by its two corners on both sides as holders for the poles with which to bear it. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with gold. So incense, here's the altar of incense. And that's that right outside the Holy of Holies just before you go into the Holy of Holies. And that pictured again, Throughout scripture, incense was a picture of prayer. Once more, we see Jesus as our great high priest who makes intercession for them. It says in Hebrews 7, verse 24, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he, Jesus, is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Speaking of Jesus. And so we praise the Lord again that here we have one that ascended from the grave who is alive today, whoever lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for us. Next, we see the anointing oil and incense in verse 29. And then in verse 
Uh, one in chapter 38, we have the altar of burnt offering or the bronze altar. Look at verse one of chapter 38. He made the altar of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubits was its length, five cubits its width. It was square and its height was three cubits. He made its horns on its four corners. The horns were of one piece with it and he overlaid it with bronze. He made all the utensils for the altar, the pans, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. All its utensils he made of bronze. And he made a great of bronze network for the altar under its rim, midway from the bottom. He cast four rings for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. And he made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. Then he put the poles into the rings on the sides of the altar with which to bear it. He made the altar hollow with boards. So this was now the, the altar burnt offerings or the, the, the bronze altar was the first piece of furniture of the tabernacle that you would enter, that you would come to when you would enter into the tabernacle, at least when you come in the courtyard, this was the very first thing that you would approach. See, we don't have access to God unless we come via a sacrifice. Remember the altar, we see repeated, everything about the altar was, was covered in what? Bronze. Again, bronze, biblically, is a, a symbol of judgment. See, sin needs to be judged and atoned for. We cannot approach God with any kind of our own, you know, bargaining, with, with anything that we might think we can bring to the table to, to appease God or think that we can now approach God. It's only through sacrifice. Only Jesus does that. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the very judgment of God. He took that in our place, in our stead. He stepped in as our substitute and he took the judgment and the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven of sins. We come to God now only through Jesus who's provided an atonement, a covering for our sins, removed the judgment, brought about that reconciling work and righteousness of Jesus Christ now by which we can approach God. So that bronze altar, the first thing that you'd come to when you're coming to the tabernacle. And then you would come to the bronze laver, which you uh, will see next here in the courtyard. Uh, it's small in the picture there, sorry, but the bronze laver, verse eight, he made the laver of bronze and its base of bronze from the bronze mirrors of the serving woman who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the laver came after the bronze altar. The issue of sin taken care of at the bronze altar, yet we as Christians do not live in sinless perfection. We need to be cleansed through regular confession as we come before the Lord. And there's renewal, uh, there's a continued cleansing that happens through the word. The word is oftentimes looked at as that mirror, right, that we look into as, as James says. And here's the bronze mirrors of the serving women being used in this bronze labor, very fitting. Verse nine we look at the court of the tabernacle now, and here, again, we'll see the picture up there, the, the courtyard um, all around the tabernacle with the various curtains that are there as well. It says in verse nine, then he made the court on the south side. The hangings of the court were of fine woven linen, 100 cubits long. There were 20 pillars for them with 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and the band were silver. On the north side, the hangings were 100 cubits long with 20 pillars and the 20 bronze sockets. The hooks of the pillars and their bands were silver. And on the west side, there were hangings of 50 cubits and 10 pillars. 
and their ten sockets, the hooks of the pillars, and their bands were silver. For the east side, the hangings were 50 cubits. The hangings of one side of the gate were 15 cubits long with their three pillars and their three sockets. And the same for the other side of the court gate on this side, and that were hangings of 15 cubits with the three pillars and the three sockets. So you see on the east side there, the gate. Again, only one access point into the tabernacle and the courtyard. It's only one access. There's only one way in, and that's through Jesus Christ. We'll move down to verse 21. Here now we see all the, the materials of the tabernacle being brought in. It says in verse 30 or 21, this is the inventory of the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the testimony, which was counted according to the commandment of Moses for the service of the Levites by the hand of Ithamar, son of Aaron, the priest, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made all that the Lord had commanded Moses. And with them was Aholiah, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, an engraver and designer, a weaver of blue, purple, and scarlet thread, and of fine linen. All the gold that was used in all the work of the holy place, that is, the gold of the offering, was 29 talents and 730 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. So let me pause right there. What we see here is with all the inventory being brought in, all the, the, the financial goods, the gold and everything, we see accountability. There's uh, multiple people here that are, are counting it. And there's just that wisdom in accountability. Just as Paul, when he's traveling, you know, and collecting an offering, he's doing so with others involved and not just by his own hand. And so we see the great wisdom in that. But now, um, let me jump down to verse 30. And with it, he made the sockets for the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the bronze altar, the bronze grating for it, and all the utensils for the altar, the sockets for the court all around, the bases for the court gate, all the pegs for the tabernacle, all the pegs for the court all around. So Moses also record an estimate of the amount of precious metals that were used here. Coined money did not exist until the 8th century BC when the Lydians in Anatolia, which is modern Turkey, invented it. So consequently, the shekel that Moses referred to as a measure of weight, not quite half an ounce. So the materials included slightly over a ton of gold. Just think about that. Over a ton of, just over a ton of gold. Almost four tons of silver and about two and a half tons of of bronze so i don't norm you got the answer for how much that's equated to today you can tell us after okay all right you work on that it's a lot of money right that's a lot of money my friends um so yeah so just an amazing amount that's that's come in here chapter 39 guys look at we're we're doing good chapter 39 verse one here we move on to looking at the priestly garments. All the priests were to be dressed in a certain uh, robe that we have here. So, um, verse one, that's, uh, yeah, there you go. All right. There's our, our priest represented here tonight. There we go. So, verse one, we look at, first of all, we look at the ephod. Um, it says in verse one of the blue, purple, and scarlet thread, they made garments of ministry for ministering in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. He made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen. And they beat the gold into thin sheets and cut it into threads to work in it with the blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen into artistic designs. They made shoulder straps for it to couple it together. It was coupled together at its two edges and the intricately woven band of his ephod that was on it was of the same workmanship woven of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen as the Lord had commanded Moses. And they set onyx stones enclosed in settings of gold. They were engraved as signets are engraved with the names of the sons of Israel. He put them on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel as the Lord had commanded Moses. So interestingly, this ephod was that, that vest that kind of sat over top, open on the sides here, went over the garments. And, and the names of the children of Israel would be upon the shoulders of the priests on those onyx stones. But then we also see in, in the breastplate, as we're gonna read about in a moment, the breastplate also had 12 stones representing the nation of Israel. Verse 14 lays that out first. And that was over the priest's heart. So not only do we see this, the, the Israel represented upon the shoulders, kind of that, that place of, uh, of work and strength in a sense. And we understand Jesus, our high priest, who is carrying us and, and bearing, you know, the, the load for us, essentially. But also the names are over the heart of the priest, just as Jesus has that love and care for us and has us on, on his heart as well. So the breastplate, it says in verse eight, and he made the breastplate artistically woven like the workmanship of the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and a fine woven linen. They made the breastplate square by doubling it. A span was its length and a span its width when doubled. And they set in four rows of stones, a row with a sardius, a topaz, and all the jewels mentioned there, verse 14. And there were 12 stones according to the names of the sons of Israel, according to their names engraved like a signet, each one with its own name according to the 12 tribes. And they made chains for the breastplate at the ends like braided cords of pure gold. So move down, uh, verse 22. Next, we see the robe. It says in verse 22 that he made the robe of the ephod of woven work all of blue. And there was an opening in the middle of the robe like the opening in a coat of mail with the woven binding all around the opening so that it would not tear. They made on the hem of the robe pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet, and a fine woven linen, and they made bells of pure gold, and put the bells between the pomegranates on the hem of the robe, all around between the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate. So just all around the robe in that order, as the Lord, it says, had commanded Moses. And then we look at other accessories, and this is interesting. Verse 27, they made tunics artistically woven of fine linen for Aaron and his sons, a turban of fine linen, exquisite hats of fine linen, short trousers of fine woven linen, and a sash of fine woven linen with blue, purple, and scarlet thread made by a weaver, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then they made the plate of the holy crown of pure gold and wrote on it an inscription like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And they tied to it a blue cord to fasten above on the turban as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the priest would wear that, that turban and with it, there'd be that gold plate on the forehead that said holiness to the Lord. And what a great thing that would be because it'd be a constant reminder that 
this man serving the Lord was to be holy before the Lord. He was to be set apart, not just in his actions, but in his thinking too, as it sat right over his mind, his place of thinking. Everything he does outwardly, everything he's thinking internally, he's to be holiness to the Lord. Quite often the battles are won or lost in the mind, aren't they? How we need to take every thought captive, how we need to be set apart and say, Lord, I wanna be holy unto you. And so here's the high priest doing just that, moving ahead in a way that honored the Lord and caused him to be seen now as a worker approved of God. There's to be a distinction and a reverence in the way that he approached God. Wherever we go, hey, we should realize that we have the same reminder. We should have that same thought in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, whatever I'm doing, may I be holiness to the Lord. May I be set apart from the things of this world and set apart to you. Lord, I wanna walk in holiness. I wanna walk in purity and I wanna be honoring to you in all that I do, all that I think, all that I say. So here's the priest doing that. Just as when the priests were, were being anointed, remember, they would take the earlobe, they'd take the, um, oh man, now I'm, I'm forgetting, earlobe, the, the fingers, the, the feet, I think everything that they touched everywhere they walked, everything they heard was to be again honoring to the Lord. So then, moving on, we have now in verse 32, of chapter 39, the presentation of the tabernacle. So here we see just kind of a summary of all the things that have been collected, made, gathered for the tabernacle. Verse 32 says, Thus all the work of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting was finished, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. And they brought the tabernacle to Moses, the tent and all its furnishings, its clasps, its boards, bars, pillars, sockets. Uh, jump down to verse, um, let's go down to verse 40. The hangings of the court, its pillars and its sockets, the screen for the court gate, its cords and its pegs, all the utensils for the service of the tabernacle for the tent of meeting, and the garments of ministry to minister in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest and his son's garments to minister as priests. According to, to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did all the work. Then Moses looked over all the work, and indeed they'd done it as the Lord had commanded, just so they had done it. And Moses blessed them. Do you see how often we're seeing those words, as the Lord commanded, so they did. So we've got the summary of all that they had accomplished all that they'd done and were seen over and over again as the Lord had commanded. This is why we see this repetition. It's again to, to show that all that the Lord had said to do was indeed getting done. And that's what God expects of us. We can get a lot of instructions. We can get a lot of knowledge. We can get a lot of things that we know. Here's what the Lord has for me. The question is, are we following through and being doers of the word? That's what James 1 verse 21 and 22 says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves see there's a lot of people that can go oh man I got a lot of scripture hidden away I, I can repeat a lot of what the Lord has for us I know scripture but the Lord's not so interested in what you know but in what you do 
Are you being doers of the word? Are you living it out? And that's what Jesus said again when he's talking about the one that built his house upon the solid rock and he built it upon the sand. He said, the one that built his house upon the solid rock was the one that heard the word and did it. Not just heard it, but obeyed it. Followed through with it. And that's what we're seeing in this whole repetition as we're ending the book of Exodus that everything the Lord had said to do, they were now doing it. They were putting it all in practice. And, and where there was obedience, notice the end of verse 43, what did Moses do? Moses blessed them. When there's obedience, there's gonna be blessing. Can't have blessing apart from obedience. God desires to bless you, but that blessing flows out of obedience to the Lord. Chapter 40. We're doing it, guys. You were wondering this whole time, weren't you? You're going, I don't know. I, I think Brent is really off the mark tonight. There's no way. There's no way. You're all like placing bets inside. I see you guys. You're all like wagering. We're doing it. Chapter 40. Here's the dedication of the tabernacle now. Verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony and partition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the ark of the testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you shall set the altar of the burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screen at the court gate. And you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all its utensils and it shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering and all its utensils and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver and its base and consecrate it. Verse 12. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle meeting and wash them with water. <clears throat> you shall put the holy garment on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them with tunics. You shall anoint them as he anointed their father that they may minister to me as priests for their anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generations. Thus, Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. Verse 17, and it came to pass in the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. So it's kind of like a, a full year now from when they've come out of, of Egypt here. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bar, bars and raised up its pillars and he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses he took the testimony and put it into the ark inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark and he brought the ark into the tabernacle hung up the veil of the covering and partitioned off the ark of the testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses verse 22 he put the table in the tabernacle of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the veil. And he set the bread in order upon it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. 
He put the lampstand in the tabernacle of meeting across from the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he lit the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded Moses. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil, and he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He hung up the screen at the door of the tabernacle, and he put the altar of burnt offering before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting and offered upon it the burnt offering and the grain offering as the Lord had commanded Moses. He set the laver between the tabernacle and meeting and the altar and put water there for washing. And Moses, Aaron, and his sons would wash their hands and their feet with water from it. Whenever they went into the tabernacle and meeting, and when they came near the altar, they washed as the Lord had commanded Moses. And he raised up the court all around the tabernacle and the altar and hung up the screen of the court gate. So Moses finished the work. And then I love, I, I, I'm gonna stop right there for a second. I, I love those words. So Moses finished the work. So again, it doesn't matter how you begin and, and all through their history here. As we've been going through the book of Exodus, there's been a lot of flaws and, and shortcomings. But remind, it doesn't matter how we begin, it matters how we finish. And here's Moses now, faithful, along with the people of Israel that had stepped up now in contributions, in giving, in doing all that the Lord had commanded them to do, and they finished the work. Many great men in the Bible have finished the work. Noah, Nehemiah, Paul, it says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he has finished his race, but best of all was Jesus who said on the cross, it is finished. The work complete, salvation is granted. And so here's Moses now finishing the work. And again, of this tabernacle and all the different furnishings of it is all just a great picture of the work of Jesus Christ and the ministry he has unto us. Now, let me finish up verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle in meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle in meeting because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire was over it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. So notice there in verse 35, Moses was not able to enter in. We go through all the, the stages of gathering the materials, the, the completion of the materials, bringing it all together. The tabernacle is done. And yet here we are kind of left at a cliffhanger now at the end of Exodus that Moses was not able to enter in. Come on, Moses. Let's see what this is going to be like. Let's see Aaron. Let's see the, the Levites ministering in the tabernacle. But it's not there for us. Moses can't go in. There's a bit of a problem. This is a problem that Leviticus is going to fix. See, Leviticus sits in the middle of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the Pentateuch. Leviticus sits right in the middle, just as the tabernacle sat right in the middle of the camp of Israel. The tabernacle was to be the very livelihood of Israel. It's the centerpiece for Israel, the place that God would dwell with them. The tabernacle provides the place, but the book of Leviticus shows the provision. 
It's through a sacrifice. First seven chapters of Leviticus go through the various offerings and sacrifices that are to provide for that atonement now to enter in. And again, these all simply point to the finished work of Jesus by which we have the means to enter in now to the very throne and presence of Almighty God. Hebrews chapter 10 says this in worship team. You guys can come up. Hebrews 10 verse 11 to 14 says, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Jumping down to verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest, the very holy of holies, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Here's Moses, not able to enter in. And yet here we are called now by a new and living way through the veil of Jesus' flesh that was sacrificed for us to provide the way. We're called now there in Hebrews 10 verse 22 to draw near. Oh, if Moses, how much Moses would have longed to have heard those words. Come in, Moses, draw near. And yet it's the very words that we as believers in Christ get to respond to now. Let us draw near. Draw near with a true heart now in full assurance of faith. Because we haven't just been sprinkled through a, a sacrifice that Leviticus is gonna point to We've been covered by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that has removed sins once and for all as the once and final sacrifice made for all who put their trust in him. Let us draw near, my friends. Let us be reminded of the incredible, wonderful invitation and gift we have to commune with the living God.